Welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. Every week, our objective is to offer you a topic that, in one way or another, relates to living a more conscientious life. In recent months, we had shows on biomimicry, superfoods, sunscreen, healing inflammation, and even the voice that we are all born with, how to find it, and how to cultivate it. Today, we are talking about a different kind of complementary fit, that between food and wine. Red or white with that. Tasting tips for organic wine. Our topic in this hour with a fantastic, beloved guest, Katrina Fry of Fry Vineyards, who will walk with us through the amazing world of organic wine pairings. Red or white with that. Tasting tips for organic wine here today on An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helber. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Speaking of wine, living in the Sonoma Valley, right? Everywhere you go right now, it smells like grapes. <laughs> Everywhere you go. I mean, I get up in the morning, I hear the trucks rumbling down, filled with grapes from the harvest that they harvest at night often during this time of year. And everything smells like grapes. And it's just, it's a time where there's an energy, like there's an urgency to get mm. this done, to get the grapes mm -hmm. picked and get them harvested and crushed by a certain time before the, the frost gets here or the rains get here. But it's also really interesting for me is because this there's a changing light that goes on in autumn, which is actually everybody has their favorite season and autumn's is mine. And it's the light that really reminds me or the changing of the light that really reminds me that it's autumn. It's uh, this time of year I want to linger a little longer. I take, I'm a little slower walking, and if you can imagine that. And there, the, the blue in the sky gets softer. In summer, it's really bright and brilliant and beautiful, but it gets softer. There's a refracted light that's going on. I don't know. There's just something about it. It's like when I ask people about autumn, they seem to go to light when they're talking about it. Can you? Do you guys have any reflections on that? It's so interesting to hear about what, pieces or colors of the season stick with you. I've never thought about the blue being different, but I do think about shadows and browns that are more prominent this time of year, maybe because the sun isn't so high and things are coming in at a different angle. I mean, I grew up in Michigan and the color change on the trees is extraordinary in Michigan. And we don't have that here in California, unless you drive up to Napa and Sonoma and you're seeing the color change on the vines, but it's different. I mean, it, it's similar, but it's different. So that's kind of an obvious one mm -hmm. with, with the changing sure, leaves, sure. but I've never noticed the sky. But for me, it does have a lot to do. I mean, my memory of this time of year is it feeling like it's almost time to go trick-or-treating because you spend all of this time, be, because really on Halloween, you spend all of this time outside, right? Mm -hmm. You're walking all day with your friends and you start while it's still light and you go until it's dark at night. So it, it gets this, I don't know, it just starts reminding me of what it was like to spend the whole evening outside. And I start to notice that the light comes in at a at a sharper angle. And so I notice the, the darker colors coming out of the leaves and the darkness and the bark. And I just, I've been thinking a lot about shadows and how, how, contours of your face can express beauty differently and 
just I think it's a it's a lovely opportunity to acknowledge the dark side of things or the dark potential of things. It keeps it keeps things dynamic and it also keeps things working in balance. So and there's a really great um, a, an interview with Robert Johnson, who's a rather famous Jungian analyst, and he talks about how it's actually the darkness, it's the black. When you're printing something, when something goes through a printing press and they layer all the colors on top of each other back in the day, you see all the colors go on, but everything still seems to be shapeless until they do the final time mm. through the printer when wow. they put the black in. Yeah. And that's when you actually start to see the shape and form. So this time of year is when I start to notice how the darkness complements and adds contour and expression of beauty mm-hmm. into the experience mm-hmm. of the outdoors. Yeah, for me, the this time, it's so interesting that light has character and when it's the bright summer days you don't really think of character or I don't but this is the time when light gets its character back and it's as you guys said it's golden it's slow it's soft long shadows the golden kind of reminds me of the harvest value really the the monetary value of gold being still in the field or being hopefully soon harvested and safely stored away and then the slowness is that the work got done you know or the work is getting done this is this is it this is the last push the last effort before the long winter season the softness it's a time to refocus on family and heart and reading and love and then the long shadows sita as you just said darkness is always present so this is the time that it's coming and it's necessary and it's it's that beautiful balance. I I love fall. There's a really fun energy in spring when everything is budding, but this is kind of my favorite time of year. But just as with produce, I think you could <laughs> I could yeah. say that. Yeah, you could say that every time of year. The most exciting right. week. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so it's all relative. <laughs> but it is an incredibly beautiful time right now that we are in and heading into even more so. And how appropriate we are talking about tasting tips for organic wine. We're talking about food and wine and that relationship. Red or white with that is our topic in this hour with a fantastic beloved guest, Katrina Fry of Fry Vineyards. And before we dive into that topic, we have a couple other things lined up. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helper. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is red or white with that. Tasting tips for organic wines. There are lots of varieties. And even the general categorization of red or white, what's the world of food that really fits? We know white wine may be with fish and red wine may be with meat, but there's so much more to it. And we will find out 
today with an amazing guest what the best pairing might be and the creativity in the kitchen and our personal preferences. But before we dive into that topic, as always, here's our very own Sita Rani Palomar and her holistic bite. Thank you, Helga. I am taking a tip from the theme of the day, which is food pairing and looking at a different kind of pairing. We were having a conversation with a friend the other day, and he was talking about how he's doing this new Dutch diet as an attempt to shed a few pounds, getting in preparation for the holiday season. And he said that his friend who is Dutch says this is the way that they, that they maintain slim figures, is they eat a whole fat at breakfast, whether that's yogurt or cheese or I, I'm not really sure. I haven't done much research yet into this Dutch diet, but the concept of a whole fat at breakfast, not a skim, not a 2%, really resonates with me because from the holistic nutrition standpoint of things, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And we also did a really excellent episode recently about a month ago on vitamins and minerals. And our guest, Erin Livers, who's an instructor at Bowman College, as well as in private practice for consulting, was talking about how Obviously, some vitamins and minerals are fat-soluble, so you have to think about what you're pairing them with. So this holistic bite is actually about that kind of pairing, pairing fat with vegetables, actually. And I think that this is these are some good tips for breakfast, but also as snacks for any time of the day. Things like carrots with almond butter. I would absolutely love to have that for breakfast. It has kind of a sweetness to it, both the carrot and the almond butter. Also great any time of day. But one thing that's great about this combination is that the vitamin A, which our body makes from the beta carotene that's in carrots, is fat soluble and you're getting fat in the almond butter. And also almonds contain vitamin E, which is another fat soluble vitamin. Also, greens like dark leafy greens, kale, shard, and collard greens with tahini sauce. I love tahini sauce. And Aaron Livers was talking about how that is a, a really rich ingredient for getting zinc. And greens are rich in vitamin A, which we just talked about, but also vitamin K, which is another fat-soluble vitamin. And the sesame seeds that make tahini are rich in polyunsaturated fats. Then there's always celery with hummus, which is another place where you'll We'll get some fat in the tahini that goes into hummus and also the olive oil or cauliflower with an herbed yogurt or even a ranch or a vegan ranch. I have this really wonderful recipe for vegan ranch dressing or vegan ranch dip that uses tahini and cashew butter as a base with some apple cider vinegar and some and some herbs, basically all the things that would go into a traditional ranch, all of the herbs and garlic and onion and that kind of thing, except the fat base instead of being sour cream is um, a combination of tahini and cashew butter. So I encourage you to think about how you can get the most of your nutrients by pairing your vegetables, which contain fat-soluble vitamins, with a delicious and healthy fat complement, whether it's at breakfast to start your day off with a good whole fat or later in the day as a, as a really satiating snack. And that's this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita, Chef Sita, a.k.a. Sita Rani Palomar. Amazing tips every week. It's like this, this whole world. Of, of things <laughs> exactly exactly and it, and the thing for me is it's always something we've been doing this for how many years i've been doing it for 30 something years how you've been doing it for like 160 and 
<laughs> and uh, Sita, you've been around the block a few times. But I, every time you, you have a holistic bite, I walk away thinking, I've been doing this this long, and I just learned something again <laughs> that is going to benefit me and that I can easily incorporate into my life. And I love that. Hmm. Thank yes. you, Mark. Wonderful. Well, I will share that recipe for Vegan Ranch on our site. Perfect. And that, of course, is anorganicconversation.com or facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. If you haven't befriended us uh, yet, please do so. Facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. And um, lots of tips and recipes and further information on all of our episodes can be found there. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is red or white with that. Tasting tips for organic wine. There's a whole world of varieties and flavor. And usually for me, at least it comes down to white is good with fish and red is good with meat. But there's so much more to it. So we are joined today by Katrina Fry. Katrina is the executive director of Fry Vineyards, really one of the leading voices and leading companies since 1980 and before when they took their vineyard to the organic certification and even is now a biodynamic winery. She's running Fry Vineyards with her husband, Jonathan, and she's joining us today from Redwood Valley, California. Katrina, are you with us? Yes. Hi, Helga and Mark and Sita. So nice to be here. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's always so nice great. to have you and on. It's exciting. <laughs> this is the time. I hear a humming noise in the back. What's going on there? Well, we are in full-on harvest. So we have a compressor running in back of us, and that is cooling the tanks that the <laughs> initial fermentation of the white wines are going through. Oh the white wines, they're, they're quite delicate, so you don't want them. They can actually almost burn up if you just let them go by themselves during the fermentation. So to preserve all their delicate flavors, you want to make sure that they don't get too hot. Yeah, thank you for joining us in this hour because this is prime time. As it with is. A, with a biodynamic vineyard, I'm sure every week has its own requirements, but this is right now harvest and production time. So thanks for being on the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Yeah, so Katrina, that, that got me just thinking about harvest time. A couple things. We just got done talking about our favorite light, what makes autumn, the light of autumn so special for us. Is there something around the vineyard or the lighting or something that at this time of year that really kind of just grabs your heart? The days are getting shorter very tangibly, you know, during those equinox times. The change happens really rapidly in those times close to the to the equinoxes and there's there's definitely an aroma in the air all of Mendocino <laughs> County smells yeah. like like wine you can drive down the road and and smell the piles of must that are left over after the pressing off of the grape mm -hmm. and they're turning into rich compost for putting back onto the land and then if there's vineyards still to be harvested you can smell the the nice hanging ripe fruit out there so lots of lots of visual clues too the vineyards are turning color you'll see some fall color in their leaves and it's quite beautiful with the purple grapes and the golden leaves and occasionally a red leaf here and there <laughs> beautiful now now that we've set the you tone have, you have me we've, got the, we've, got, we've got the harvest <laughs> we've got the description so you start you were talking about it, it sounds as if certain grapes are harvested at different times and so whites potentially first and then reds i'd like to know that's right mark yeah there's a, a sequence 
just like there are in apple varieties. You know, you have your Gravensteins or your early ones and your Sierras are, are towards the end. Well, grapes have that sequence of ripening also. So typically the first ones ripe are the, the white grapes, the Chardonnay and the Sauvignon Blanc. And then you get into the earliest of the reds, which is always the Pinot Noir. Then you progress through with Merlot and Zinfandel and Sangiovese. And then the very last grapes to be picked are Cabernet Sauvignon. They're the latest to bud out in the spring, but it's a wonderful grape to have be the last pick because they're very weatherproof. So um, up here in Mendocino County, by the time the Cabernet is ripe, a lot of times we've had maybe our first winter storm or wow. weather is changing. But Cabernet, the individual berries are, are quite small, so they're not clustered so tightly together that the wind can't blow through the clusters. And that means that if they get rained on, and the next day there's a little breeze, they'll dry out, so you don't have the issues of mold. Wow. <laughs> so many so things, was, so many things we don't know. Somebody was thinking that divinely through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, no divinely through. What a beautiful <laughs> way to put it. So are there any new or, or old exciting varietals that you're harvesting this year? Well, we have a Tanat, which a lot of people probably have never heard of. It's T-A-N-N-A-T, and that grape is originally from the Basque region, and the Basque farmers did a big migration to Uruguay, where there's a very perfect grape-growing microclimate. And so Tanat is actually now the national grape of Uruguay, but it's also (laughs) one of our grapes, and we have an acre of Tanat. It's a very, very dark, heavy wine, lots of good acidity, and fairly tannic, so... We have a, a little special bottling of Tanat every year. So I have a question in that regard, Katrina. First of all, when did you plant this in order to know that you would be having a harvest with it? And starting an acre of a, an acre seems not a lot of wine in terms of total case production then out of it. Do you do that just for the love of, of those varieties? Or, or do you keep it a single variety? Or is it just a good wine to mix with a couple other varieties to create you know, a new mix that Fry Wine will, will offer? What, what, is, what inspires you to, to right. plan something like that? Part of it is inspiration and just the fun of this huge potential of, of grapes. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of wine grapes in the world. So Tanat is one that... Um, doesn't have a huge following. We we have enough to make about 300 cases a year off of it. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a wine that we keep exclusively for our wine club and for our retail customers. But we are also experimenting. Two years ago, we planted Tempranillo, Barbera, Malbec, and Moscato. We planted several acres of all of those, and they each have their certain characteristics that we're excited about seeing how they do for us. The Tempranillo is the main grape in Spain, and um, lots of parts of Spain where it's grown have a very similar climate to us. It's a red grape. Barbera is a grape from Tuscany. It's a wonderful blending grape. Malbec is widely grown in Argentina, and Cabernet and Malbec are sort of a classic combination together. And then Moscato is a, is a white grape that is very aromatic and fragrant, and we'd probably do a fun 
sweet dessert type wine with the Moscato. And so some of these grapes are used for single grape variety wines True. at the end, and then some or all of them, you also can mix together the way your taste palette or your winemaker finds the best combination of to then have brands like the Agricultural List, which is one of the wines you offer that is a mix of several different grapes that have never been put together. Is that an accurate yes, statement? Yes, yeah, yeah. So blending is where the real art of winemaking comes in, and you can blend within a variety. So you can blend some Cabernet from the north end of the valley with some Cabernet from the south end of the valley and hit a happy medium between the two. But then you can also add to Cabernet some Merlot, some Malbec, some... Cabernet Franc and get these nuances that bring more to the final package than you would get if it was just a single variety grape. So it's a lot of fun. We, as a group, get together every Monday at 11 when your palate is still fresh and we do tastings with, with the staff and we'll be working on a, on a certain blend or a certain one of our biodynamic wines, which of our tanks is the taste the best for those offerings. And you have job openings posted on your website, right? <laughs> We do. It's speaking. a nice time to decide to come to visit. <laughs> We're speaking with Katrina Fry, the founder and executive director of Fry Vineyards, who's joining us today from Redwood Valley in this hour here on An Organic Conversation. Red or white with that, tasting tips for organic wine. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. So talking about this artistry of blending grapes to create a very delicious and inspiring and enjoyable flavor in a bottle is, I think, part of what makes for the drinkers and the tasters such a fun opportunity to look at what foods go well with wine. Because if it was just all Cabernets taste the same, all Malbecs taste the same, you could have a really you know straightforward grid about eat this with this and eat that with that. But understanding how to pair wine and food is an art of its own. And I know a lot of people are thinking about what wine would go well with this food. I've actually read about some wine enthusiasts who actually choose their food based on the wine they want to drink. <laughs> But I'm wondering if you can give us some simple tips about how to pair food and wine. And, and why don't we start with white? Well, with white wines, there's two factors that you're usually considering when you're thinking about food. The first is acidity, and the second is sweetness or dryness. Acidity in wine, you can look at it, you can go either, you can go in two directions with it. You can choose a high acid food like a citrus salad and pair it with an acidic wine and see if you like that or What a lot of people do is they sort of pair it with the opposite. So say that you have a nice um, Sauvignon Blanc, which is crisp and lemony. You can look at pairing that with something that is sort of creamy or oily, like an ahi steak or a Alfredo sauce. That makes perfect sense to me, actually. Well, and we talk at least about in, in food how acid, particularly lemon juice, helps with the breakdown of fat. So it seems like a natural body desire to pair something citrusy with something fatty. So I can just now envision how those two things would go together. And that seems to be a really great rule of thumb that you say, if you really like acid, if your meal has acid in it, even a vinegar, 
and you do enjoy acid and acidy wine would complement well or you can mellow out that mm -hmm. acidity by using something that is less acid or the other way around mm -hmm. adding acid to a meal that is pretty stable and rich and you know alfredo sauce or even cream sauce comes to mind where the spritzerness of the white wine the the acidity gives it a little pep the overall meal is that a good yes, summary that's great that's great beautiful Then the next factor with white wine is whether um, whether there's a little bit of residual sweetness in there. So, for example, um, we have Gewürztraminer, which is a German wine that is typically has a little bit of residual sugar, and it's quite fruity. And that's a wonderful contrast with spicy foods. Gewürztraminer with Thai food is wonderful. <sighs> We made our latest blend, our Fry Agriculturist Blanc, with a little bit of Riesling left over in it to give it just a hint of sweetness. And we're enjoying that with Indian food, with curries. So you've got that spicy food being balanced with, with a slightly sweet wine. I love these tips. This is making sense to me out of something that I've always felt is going to take me years of reading through books and speaking <laughs> with wine owners to understand. But it makes sense. It's actually balancing flavors. It's actually simpler than it appears, appears at first. Mm. <laughs> and, and you know, really, I mean, there aren't rules. I mean, I mean <gasps> there are wine rules, but they're, they're meant to be broken. And the bottom line is something that you enjoy and discover. But it's, it's fun to be conscious of those kinds of qualities as you're tasting. We're speaking with Katrina Fry, the founder and executive director of Fry Vineyards, who's joining us today in this hour from Redwood Valley, California, in the midst of wine production on our topic, red or white with that, tasting tips for organic wine. Katrina, we want to go through the same world of red wine um, right after the break. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we are joined by Katrina Fry of Fry Vineyards, biodynamic and organic, uh, both of it at the same time, who is walking with us through the amazing world of organic wine pairing. Katrina, we talked about white wine just before the break, the acidity, the sweetness could be complementary or could balance a meal that has acidity and sweetness to it or not, depending on your personal preferences and somebody's palate. How about red wines? And I do want to start by saying that for the last years, as you know, Katrina, I'm really in the dessert wine category. I, I like pretty sweet, maybe with some acidity to it, but I do prefer like an ice wine or something that most people would drink as a dessert wine, even with food. Lately, I'm coming back to the red wines and I'm pretty lost in that. Can you can you <laughs> walk me and us through if you basically look for the same notes or is that a whole different vocabulary altogether? So with red wine, they're more complex, Helga, because they have more 
exposure to the the skins and the seeds of the wines. So we, we still have our acidity as a factor, and we still have our sweetness or dryness, but then we're going to add a few more in there, too. We have a quality called earthiness, which is a pleasant, earthy, possibly mushroom smell mm. that you can pick up in some red wines. And then you have fruitiness, which is typically described as tasting like fruits other than grapes. And then you have tannins, which are the tannic acid, which is in the skins of the grape, which sort of makes your mm-hmm. your mouth pucker at the end. And all of those have certain foods that balance them or, or go well with them. So we'll start back with acidity. And this is an example of combining an acidic wine with an acidic food. So Sangiovese, which is also Chianti, that's Sangiovese is the grape that Mm, they make Chianti out of in Tuscany. That's typically nice and acidic. It has a little blackberry, but with a little, little bite to it. And it's the perfect wine with a marinara sauce, which is also typically a little bit acidic. So you can play, or again, you can do your acidic reds with um, with a roast chicken, which would be more on the on the oily and creamy side. So moving on to earthiness, Pinot Noir often has those qualities in it. We find that we actually love mushrooms with Pinot Noir, like a mushroom risotto is a lovely combination with a Pinot. It also is a great wine to have with a, with salmon. And then moving on to fruitiness, you've got your Zinfandels. They pair well with pâtés or mousses or terrines of any kind. So those aren't, aren't necessarily fruity in themselves. So that, that's more of a contrast with the complex vegetable medleys goes nicely with a fruity Zinfandel. It's so interesting that you're breaking the stereotype of fish and white, that, you, that hmm. you're saying actually a salmon would be great with a pinot. So interesting that there doesn't seem to be a steadfast rule. As you said in the beginning of the show, it's really up to somebody's taste buds and experience. But the general categorization of red and meat, fish and white is not even true, it sounds like. Sita, you had something else too. Well, I just wanted to point out how sensible this is and how you just unpacked something I think that has had a pretty big impact on the way that I choose wine. I really like Zinfandel, and I'm a vegetarian. So I think that when you said that Zin, because of its fruitiness, pairs well with vegetables, I thought, well, maybe that's why I'm naturally drawn so much to it, because it's such a good complement to what my diet staple already is. That's very Very interesting. It's so fun to talk about this topic, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Well, and you know, the interesting thing is how was just mentioned Pinot, and I know that I've had Pinots that are considered young Pinots, right? And uh-huh. some and a younger Pinot for me tends to go better with fish than a more mature Pinot. And the really interesting thing is as I'm listening to you, Katrina, is The other night, I opened up a bottle of your Sandra... Sandra... Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Chianti. Um, <laughs> and I opened it, and I, I liked it. It was okay. And then I let it sit for a couple days, and I opened the bottle before I drank a glass last night, and this whole new flavor came through. This a little bit of pepperiness, this a little bit of spiciness that was just exactly what I wanted. And I thought... 
I just drank this wine two days ago, and yet because of a little air or because of you know something like that, the flavor changed. Yes, wine really is alive, isn't it, Mark? Mm. It it changes um, within twenty minutes, just exposure to oxygen, and of course, it also changes as you taste it with different foods too. But is, it it really does change. Is and, that true more for organic wines, Katrina, or um, or is it is that really true for every wine? Well, it's true. For every wine, I would say. But I think that the difference between, in terms of tasting, with organic wines, I think a lot of time the fruit qualities come forward because in conventional wines they can tend to be masked mm. by the taste of the sulfites, that sort of metallic taste in your mouth. Mm. So perhaps it's a little bit easier to get to the fruitiness in organic wines as you mm. taste them. Mm. I have a question for you that I think spans both categories of red and white. And it's one of the flavors that I look for, really enjoy in wine that we didn't talk about. And that's woodsiness. Mm-hmm. Would you consider that earthy or would you consider that something else entirely? And And on top of that, I feel like I learned from you once before in the past that organic wines aren't oak barrel aged because oak barrel aged requires sulfites. Am I making that up or is that an accurate recollection? Okay, yeah. It's easier for us to make our wines in stainless than it is in barrels, although we do have a small barrel program for our biodynamic wines, but because of the constant evaporation that goes on within a barrel. It's just really challenging for a winery our size to keep on top of a barrel program with with a huge amount of non-sulfited wines. So woodsiness is the oak flavoring that's in wine, and it's especially California wines are known for their oak qualities. So nowadays we have people who perhaps have had enough of these huge oaky Chardonnays and are looking for more of a stainless fermented kind of the Chardonnay true, with true just fruit. a little hint of oak, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really the true fruit, kind of, in a way, unmasked by a hundred-year-old oak barrel. Although, right. you know, oak is, you know, is beautiful in wines, too. So even for us in our stainless, we infuse the wines with oak chips. To get that oak note. Yes. Wonderful. Red or white with that. Tasting tips for organic wine. The topic of this hour with Katrina Fry, our beloved guest of Fry Vineyards, the founder and executive director of the all organic and biodynamically certified Fry Vineyards joining us today from Redwood Valley. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palmar. Katrina, we had two more notes on the red that we have not covered, if my notes are correct here. The fruitiness and the tannins. Oh, we did talk about fruitiness. That's where the zen was. But tannic. We'll go on to the tannic. Yeah, the big tannic reds. A great example of that for our wine is our biodynamic Syrah. So it's a food wine. Typically, tannic wines you you wouldn't want just to sip them. So what we're talking about is pairing them with food, of course. I love our biodynamic Syrah with roasted root vegetables um, flavored only with a little thyme and salt and pepper and some olive oil. The classic meat dish to complement a Syrah is a stuffed pork loin or perhaps a sausage pizza. So we're thinking heavy, right? We are talking heavy, like the tannins have so much character that you do want a fairly character-rich meal. Right, and a winemaker knows that with tannic 
wines, you have to have a perhaps a little higher alcohol and a little bigger body. So they're, they've got that in mind as they're creating these wines. Cabernet Sauvignon is another wine that is typically tannic. And that is, of course, good with meat. It's also wonderful with chocolate. And mm-hmm. Cabernet is often described as having notes of chocolate. So there's you could pair Cabernet Sauvignon with a flourless chocolate tort, for mm. example, and which might lead us straight into dessert wines. <laughs> well, it actually, um, actually, we were just going to. I was going to make sure that you talked about that because Helga introduced me to dessert wines. I never was a Kvirchstaminer or any or any type of sweet wine, and then Helga introduced me to dessert wines, which I know you uh, make a really nice one that he always wants to get. And Sita loves sparkling wines, right? And so I was just wondering: is there much difference between the two? You know, as far as when people are choosing them, or they're two completely different categories. Sparkling wines are made from grapes that are picked early, uh, so they're not real sweet. And they're, of course, filled with wonderful bubbles and effervescence. (laughs) They're in the grapes? (laughs) um, You know, uh, often served as an aperitif. What we've noticed here, we do not make a champagne or a sparkling wine, but we love it. We think it's particularly good with anything salty. Do you agree with that, Sita? That yeah, makes perfect sense. <laughs> interesting. Sita, Sita loves salt. If there's one <laughs> one spice or one thing that can't be too too little in the meal, it's salt. I That's mean, we know totally you true. to always add salt. She's uh, a salt fan, and so uh-huh. it makes perfect sense because her favorite drink, when it comes to wine, is is the bubbly kind. So that makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> we figured that one out. Wow. How about dessert wines, as in even ice wine and and you know, late harvest, right. red, red so, or white. Is there? What would you pair that with? And is the late harvest Zin uh, as a red wine um, in the pairing different than a you know late harvest Muscat or white? Yes. So um, dessert wines are sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. They're made from very very ripe grapes that are so ripe that even after the fermentation has finished, there's still residual grape sugar left in the wine. So they're, they're typically sweet. Sometimes they're a little bit higher alcohol. And traditionally, they're served after meals, but you can certainly change that up. I was at a barbecue the other day, and someone was grilling peaches. And we had that was some of our late harvest Zinfandel, and that was an amazing combination. Yeah, usually I, I do think, as we say, you know, white with fish and red with meat, and that's not really true, and it's changing anyway, and it's your personal experience. The same is true for me for really kind of heavy dessert wines, even ports, traditionally consumed more after the meal, as you said, hence the name dessert wine. And I, I do think in my experience, having a tiny glass, the, the, the amount you get poured or you pour yourself is much smaller anyway. But mm-hmm. just having that flavor broadness, the richness of that, complements most of the meals that I would enjoy. And, you know, as a German, I do eat meat and maybe heavier dishes. And so having a pretty heavy 
sweeter wine makes a perfect flavor experience for me. It's definitely not a dessert in that sense. It just complements beautiful, rich meals. I don't know how I could possibly add to that. <laughs> that was great. Except I'll go put aside another case of that late harvest Zinfandel for you. He's already <laughs> finished the entire case he got the other week. So speaking of the varieties, we're almost out of time, Katrina, but it's interesting. You mentioned wine clubs. There are vineyards or most of them, I would say, offer wine clubs where you get varieties or um, or releases that you wouldn't find in retail stores, even in natural food stores, that often have a more specific selection. But there are there are varieties just by sheer quantity or lack thereof to reserve for wine club fans. Many vineyards offer that. You have that too. We just want to allow people to experience certified biodynamic and certified organic wine just a little pluck can you talk about how that works how can somebody become a wine club member yes it's easy just hop onto our website and it will lead you through it there's no charge to become a member of our wine club and we have two levels we have the new moon membership and the full moon membership so if you're a new mooner three times a year you'll get four bottles of wine from us we select it and if you're a full moon member Three times a year, you get six bottles of wine, so a case and a half over the year. Throughout the whole year, you enjoy 20% off of any orders you make. And after you get your shipment, you have 30 days to order as much as you want of anything that you really like for 30% off. So mm, wow. it's, a, it's a great deal if you live nearby or if you're willing to get on an airplane. Uh, we, have, we have annual wine club events. Last year, we had a grandmother and a mother and their eight-year-old daughter come all the way from Texas to one of our <laughs> wine club parties. So that was a lot of fun. They've won the award so far for coming from the furthest away. Well, the wine club parties are so special because you put on this beautiful dinner with all of this food that's cooked, much of it picked from the, the fields around the vineyard and cooked on the farm, and it's just really really exquisite. Yeah, talk about tasting the region. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Katrina. I know this is one of the busiest times of the year for you. The machines are humming behind you. Good luck with this year's harvest and production. Um, and thanks again for making time to be on the show with us. Lovely to have you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And I hope everyone finds a great bottle of wine to go with their meal tonight. Mm, for <laughs> thanks, sure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, Katrina. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Katrina Fry, the founder and executive director of Fry vineyards who joined us today from redwood valley california for more information frywine.com that's f-r-e-y-w-i-n-e.com you're listening to an organic conversation i'm helga helbert i'm mark mulcahy and i'm citarani palomar and coming up for you is back to the land or we're staying with the land of course what else could it be it's the world of produce that and more when we come back right after the break stay tuned Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. 
For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helber. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. In this hour, we talked about red or white with that, tasting tips for organic wine with Katrina Fry. Again, that website is frywine, F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com, who joined us from Redwood Valley. And now we are staying above the surface and we're looking at this false vegetable production. Mark, it's time for the update from the produce dock. What's in season? <laughs> Welcome to What's in Season with Earl Herrick. And today we're talking, we've been talking about autumn, right? We've been talking about the colors. We've been talking about the sounds, the smells and everything like that. And I think there's one thing out there that really reminds most people of autumn is uh, it's winter squash. And so Earl and I wanted to talk a little bit about that today. But I want to, before we start, I wanted to ask both of you, what are your favorite winter squashes before we get the, before we get the old guy on the line? Well, there, there's flavor <laughs> and there's appearance. Is a jack-o'-lantern a winter squash? Would you consider that in that general You can eat it. Pumpkin You can eat it. And it's, 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 right, it's available right now. We don't have that. Obviously, we don't have that in Germany. Germany doesn't do Halloween. Maybe now a few people have picked it up, but it's really a completely American tradition. And I think it's adorable. It, I think it's really, it has a bigger meaning to, to it anyway. But seeing the front porches with jack-o'-lantern carved, and some people are so creative, it's insane. I think that's totally one of the colors of fall. Eating-wise, for me, it's a kabocha. Kabot, great, yeah. great job on that. Lovely, great job. <laughs> I've been practicing, yeah, kabucha, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, that is the even just the skin of that is if it's if it's grilled right, it's just so tasty. It's so nutty. It's like eating pine cones. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. What about you, Sita? I am quite classically in love with butternut squash. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so versatile. I love cooking with it. It's easy to cut and break down. It's just my staple squash. I mm -hmm. love I mm -hmm. love it. Mm -hmm. I love it too. What are you, Mark? I'm uh, a buttercup. I love that nuttiness. It's similar to kabocha, that nuttiness, that kind of nutty, creamy, creaminess. And Sita, I have a recommendation for you, and that's a Tahitian squash. And that's a squash that is the same color as a butternut, but has a long curved neck, probably about two or three times oh. the size of in the neck, which is where most of the meat is, which is the reason right. that you're looking for. And just a correction, I think I said pine cone. That's why you laughed, Sita. It's pine nuts, of course. The okay. nuttiness of a pine nut. Maybe <laughs> that I get makes that much out more of a, sense. Of Some a, parts are edible. Yeah. yeah. Than, eat, <laughs> than eating Kapocha. pine nuts. Uh-huh. But who else is with us? Well, that's what I was just going to introduce now that, we've, now that we've all had our rounds. Um, so, of course, we have the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco. So, Earl, what is hey. your favorite winter squash? And then let's talk about the season. 
Oh, my favorites kind of come in a group, and they look like a family, all uh, pretty striped and multicolored. So I'm talking about uh, the delicata type, uh -huh. the mm -hmm. sugar loaf, the sweet dumpling, and there's even one called the car, uh, carnival. carnival. Mm -hmm. And those are the really multicolored uh, with blues and, and golds and, and reds in them. And my favorite is, is amongst those, and they all look like a family when they're all together, one's tall and straight, one's kind of short and plumpy, is that delicata. It doesn't have a lot of meat, but boy, it's, it's incredibly flavorful, very, very sugary. But that being said, in, in doing a little bit of research on this, and also we're selling a lot of winter squash right now, buttercup is the one I'm going to start using more of just by the description itself is so alluring. I was reading one article about it, and they call it the American royalty of winter squash. Where would I you mean, find that right now, Earl? I mean, you guys always come up with varieties, right? Sita and I stick with the now-learned six varieties, and then you add about 40 to it that we've <laughs> yeah. never heard of. Like, where do, you, where do you buy that? Where do you get a buttercup these days? Well, you know, with some of your better stores that are, have bigger displays. Now, out here, you can go to a place called Berkeley Bowl or Monterey Market. They're going to have kind of a little bit deviating from the norm. Mm. But another thing is, which we've talked about a lot, is talk to your produce people and say, hey, I've heard of something. Love to see if you can get it. Or, of course, with friends as farmers, sure. you can always you can put that to them and say, not only are you looking for a particular type like a buttercup, but that you can get down and there's varieties within the varieties that they can hunt for the seed and then they can put it in the ground and bingo, next year you got what you read about. So yeah. And farmers and, markets, I mean, squash are grown year-round, right, Mark? Go ahead, Earl. Well, you know, they're available almost year-round, but there's probably a little bit of a, a lap depending upon inventory and, and the year's crop. In, in the spring and early summer, because right now in October is, is the harvest time. There's lots of product, and that probably started, we probably started seeing early crop in August and September. And so that's going to go until the end of the year, and then the Mexican crop starts. So depending on how much supply ha has been harvested, you can store winter squash very well. But generally, there's a little bit of a lull in spring around May where, We're still waiting for the new the new crop to come in around gotcha. July, August. Great. Yeah. So not quite year-round. And the varieties are endless. I mean, we can talk about the, the six or ten that are known by everybody, but there are sub-varieties within sub-varieties. And, you know, go and look at the antiquity seeds, and you can find them forever. So they're big fun. And if anything characterizes the harvest, it's a wheelbarrow full of winter squash. Every color imaginable, you know, we're talking about white and blue and green and gray and striped and gold and red. It, it's really phenomenal. And they all eat so differently, and you can really find some prizes if you just want to uh, take a chance and throw some in, a, in the oven. And another, you know, another one that I'm just reminded of when you said that, Earl, it's a really favorite of mine. It's a really old variety. It's called a Hubbard squash, oh, and, they, and they're usually huge, right? And you so know, really... From what I understand, the buttercup is the parentage is Hubbard. Okay, so that would that would actually make sense with the you know because it's yeah. got it's got a little bit of that flavor component. But if you want to try Hubbard squash and you see this huge thing at the market, you say Helga and I would never eat that whole thing. Ask them <laughs> to cut it. 
seriously, ask them to cut it, cut you a slice of it. They'll take it, they'll wrap it for you, they'll de-seed it if you don't want the seeds, and then they'll, they can sell the rest. So, so do, do not hesitate to do that Great for all of our listeners out there. If you see one of those big red curries or a, a Hubbard squash, ask them to cut it for you because reality is most people can't eat that much squash mm-hmm. or they're not going to. So you're actually doing some other customer a favor. I love that And you know, you know, winter squash makes great pies. And also, on top of that, the seeds are wonderful to save and roast it. So, you know, there's a yeah, to I, do with I love with that, that about squash, really. If you wash the skin, and if it's an organic one, and they, you know, have no synthetic pesticide been used, and it's something you can eat completely, including the seeds, as you just said. And yeah. they store well, they freeze well. If you cook yep. them and, you know, put them in the freezer, you can take them out and roast them again. I mean, it's so hands-on. There's, it's not a fuzzy kind of, it's almost like a potato. It behaves like like a potato, but the flavor is so amazing, and the, and the health benefits are amazing. So I, I love squashes. And we're looking at a good year too. The weather's been perfect. There hasn't been uh, a lot of moisture. It's been it's been appropriately dry. We're looking for good supply. Prices are very good. And uh, as far as cosmetically, a little scarring does not hurt the flavor at all. Of course, and that scarring generally comes from at some point during its growing period. They probably had uh, you know they have big foliage to protect the foliage meaning leaves to protect the squash the itself mm-hmm. so when they're young when a wind kicks up that can easily scar the young fruit itself so doesn't make any difference uh, some of that actually gives us some pretty nice character you know scarface uh, squash there you go scar and it's not even halloween yet so <laughs> earl thank you as always what a wealth of so knowledge amazing. and a pleasure to have you on and we look yep. forward to sharing some squash with you this fall absolutely oh, always always great talking <laughs> to you all sure. okay, thanks thank you, earl. bye great. yes bye now Mark, how do you pick a good squash? Of course, heavy for its size, a lot of moisture. And I like a good bright color. Earl's right about the scarring. It's not going to make a difference. But you want to make sure it's not starting to shrivel or it's not getting dull. It still should have a bright color, even if it does have some scars. What we took away from our fantastic conversation yum, with yum, Katrina yum. is that if you were enjoying a roasted winter squash, mm, you yeah. might consider pairing it with a biodynamic Syrah, yeah. for example. Those high tannic, what a yummy high show. alcohol. Yeah, yes. right? Okay, let's do it. All right, we're there. (laughs) Well, that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.